Dexter. Well, Mr. Kirk, Dexter's in school. I'm afraid he's not, Miss Fishmore. Dexter's truancy problem is way out of hand. The Baltimore County School Board have decided to expel Dexter from the entire public school system. Oh, Mr. Kirk, I'm as upset as you to learn Dexter's truancy. But surely expulsion is not the answer. I'm afraid expulsion is the only answer. It's the opinion of the entire staff that Dexter is criminally insane. Same, same, same. <laughs>
You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 11.9 FM. My guest today is Daryl Cunningham. His new book, somewhat new, um, new to North America, I guess we can say, uh, Psychiatric Tales, which was also published in the UK last year, was it? Yeah, last um, last spring, April, it came out. Okay. Close, close to a year. Yeah. Um... And you're also working on more follow-up work in kind of other areas of science? I'm doing more sort of um, psychiatric kind of themed stuff, some sort of science stuff, and I'm just putting the pinching touches to a, an all-ages book, which is another, called Uncle Bob Adventures, which has been a, another long-term project of mine, which I've been trying to get off the ground for years. So I've been... Glad finally to get that out in print this summer from again from um, Blank Slate in the UK. They're a pretty new publisher, are they, Blank Slate? Uh, yeah, um, sort of started up a few, couple of years ago, about three years ago now, and um, yeah, pretty doing pretty well actually. Yeah, started to put a lot of UK stuff out and some European stuff, mostly German stuff. Nice. Uh, they're going to be at uh, Toronto, actually. So. Oh, are they? Yeah, so oh, okay. definitely go and see them at the table. Yeah. I will definitely be there. I wish I could time. go, but I can't, I can't do that one. <laughs> it's it's pretty expensive Yeah, to well, I'll be going from... to Mocha before that. Oh, okay. In New York, so, but I, can't, I couldn't do both, unfortunately. Yeah. I guess, you, are you doing that for, for Bloomsbury or for Blank Slate, the Mocha? Um, kind of both, really. All right. Yeah. Well, let's um, kind of get a bit of background. You've been doing comics for a while before you started doing psychiatric tales, right? Yeah. Um, I um, I sort of came on the scene sort of where they right at the end of the sort of eighties, early nineties, and there was sort of a reasonably healthy sort of UK small press scene around then. Uh, like it was a scene basically that Eddie Campbell came out of. Mm-hmm. And with the glass Phil Elliott and Woodrow Phoenix were around, and uh, Paul Gravett had been, and Peter Stanbury had been publishing Escape, so they were at the centre of that kind of scene. And then, as the 90s sort of advanced, it kind of sort of to fade away, really, a bit. And I realised I wasn't going to make a living out of that, so I started to do work in in, um, in healthcare mostly. And eventually that moved into psychiatric. And um, ultimately, when I was one, uh, when the sort of scene started to come back again, um, and it seemed to be more alive, then I started to look, start drawing again. But there was a long gap in between that initial period and my later period, and more than ten years when I didn't really do that much. Mm-hmm. You know, I was. I didn't really think I was coming back to it, and I'd basically, well, not exactly given up, but I was realistic about it. I, I didn't think anything would come of it that much. What's the difference between the scenes now and... I think at the moment, things are really quite vibrant. I mean, we've got, uh, it's a small scene in the UK, but there are at least kind of three kind of, Publishers are pushing things along. Apart from uh, Blank Slate, we've got 
no brow press tend to be more on the sort of art side mm-hmm. uh, quite um, very arty and the self-made hero who were very like seem to be doing a lot of literary adaptions of, uh, of like Sherlock Holmes H.P. Lovecraft and I think uh, a friend of mine Rob Davis is working on uh, an adapt- adaptation of uh, Don Quixote at the moment so they're doing that kind of thing so all very good actually mm-hmm. all very good tell me about um, kind of how you ended up falling into working in in the healthcare um, was it something you specifically went into or was it something you kind of had a knack for and just went for it do you know I, I just drifted into it without any real plan I just seemed to be more because it was just something I was kind of interested in and when I was at art college I had a friend of mine who uh, was a um, social worker and she was and I was sort of on the dole I remember uh, way back in the 80s for some time and uh, I was doing some volunt- looking for voluntary work to do so I started working a kind of drop-in centre mm-hmm. uh, for people who had suffered psychiatric illnesses, and that seemed to be that was my sort of doorway into that world. And then on and off through the years, I kept returning to that, working in healthcare, eventually working in the National Health Service as a healthcare worker, and then um, um, I started doing my training to be a qualified mental health nurse. Um, that was um, a training that I didn't finish because about halfway through I started to suffer quite severely from my own uh, uh, mental health problems in so much as I started to suffer quite severe stress and uh, depression because I wasn't dealing with the anxiety was, I was suffering so I had to drop out from that which was pretty devastating now you had also already done part of what eventually became the book by that point as well, right? Yeah, I had um, because it worked for years, uh, for a few years on a mental health, an acute mental health ward, and I started picking up this information about what the day-to-day life, uh, the running of a psychiatric hospital was like, and I started to sort of make notes and make little diary entries about this knowing that it was probably going to be a book. I was thinking originally like a prose book. So I worked on this on acute psychiatric work for, for these years, with this in, picking up this information. And uh, I'm coming across all sorts of interesting people that are sort of suffering very different illnesses, like uh, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. There was um, a lot of uh, people who um, drug dependent or or alcoholics that kind of thing so it was a, I had the insight into a world that most people didn't see and I wanted really to with the the book that I wanted to write which eventually became Psychiatric Tales um, I wanted to write a sort of stigma busting book mm-hmm. which was really to um, get rid of a lot of myths that people have about these illnesses and the people who suffered those illnesses. So that was my aim. But it wasn't. I wouldn't initially set off 
to write as a graphic novel. That came later. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I've seen um, uh, Persopolis was a, was my inspiration, really. I thought, oh, yes, I can see how I could do this now. If I take this kind of format, this very um, interesting format, just simple black and white, and just uh, draw it very simply, I could get a lot of that information in. So that, that's what I was thinking of. One thing I really uh, appreciate about your work in this book is that you're approaching it from a study of the illnesses um, where I've seen situations where people do similar work and they make it more of character analysis which kind of puts place, places dependency on kind of exploiting the people but you really seem to try and step away from that where it's not about um, people's personal stories, but stories of the illness. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, I really want to describe what this experience is like for people who are suffering. So, because it's not very like illnesses are schizophrenia, not very well understood, I think generally. Mm-hmm. So, I'm trying to see it from the inside, and. I've been criticised a little bit by in some quarters for not making it like a proper novel with characters that you could follow, but um, that's to criticise it for something that was never intended to be, really. I was just, it was really, I was trying to get the information was forefront, really. Yeah, and like I said... Like and my I... own personal story was a sort of secondary thing, which I was going to build up to. Yeah. Well, I like I said, like I find I have a I've had a real challenge when I've read work by folks, and they've done things about people's personal tragedies, but it's not their own story, and they're telling someone else's story. Where I feel it's it can be really exploitive, but here I don't feel it's exploitive, because when you get really in depth, it's your personal story, and you're not relying on someone else to to be the um, the instigator the, the, of the story. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I was a, it was a lot of these experiences were very personal to me and I knew a lot of these people very well. And uh, I even talk about sort of the effect some of the meetings of these people had on me. So I was always in the mix as well. Mm-hmm. I was trying to make it like an emotional experience when I was writing about it and not make it too clinical really tell me about um, the National Health Service there and how what their approach is with mental illness and how like what kind of support mechanisms they have is kind of standardized nationally if you can answer that (laughs) it's very difficult because um, I'm obviously have no experience of what it was like what the um, mental health services are like anywhere else. I think they're pretty good here, but they suffer from um, the same problems I would imagine anywhere in the Western world, in that um, it's, it's mental health is always often considered to be the sort of Cinderella service in this country, in so much as you, they don't get as much money as other areas of health. Like, mm-hmm. for, I mean, um, there are like um, issues like cancer 
and those kind of things are going to get more money than mental health simply because these are kind of like vote-winning areas. And mental health is, is is quite a difficult area for people it's to understand. It's like a dirty and topic. Yes, and well, you once again run into stigma, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that is a problem that mental health services often have. Uh, it's always often the, and now we're going through a period of cuts in this country, and pretty certain they won't be cutting any cancer units anytime soon. But I know for a fact that mental health services are being cut back, and they were the one on the first announced. Yeah. Which is pretty shocking. But you don't hear many people standing up for it either. Yeah. Which is even worse. I agree. <laughs> um, how did going through your own personal challenges change how you approach the book? I realised that uh, quite quickly that I was just going to have to be really quite open to the point where I was worried that I was making a bit of a fool of myself by exposing myself that sort of deeply as being, you know, because you worry mm-hmm. when you're writing about these things, you, you, you're looking weak or foolish. In other words, I was falling under exactly the same traps. I saw people suffering from depression and anxiety on the wards who are often like blaming themselves, thinking, am I suffering from, from this illness because I'm weak and worthless? And, so, and I realised that I had to get over that, and the way to get over that was simply to be to, to write about it honestly. So that's what I did, and uh, that's worked out. I worked out really well because people responded to it very positively. Uh, what I thought was something an experience very personal to me and quite narrow has actually turned out to be something. Um, much more universal than I thought I would be and people have responded to it very hugely mm-hmm. not just um, people suffering from these illnesses but people working in the um, in the healthcare industry as well both doctors, nurses all sorts of people very rarely have had any any, any real criticism at all I had a, a nice email from a young man who wanted to buy two copies of the book because he um, he he was suffering from bipolar disorder and he wanted to buy two copies because he wanted to show give one to his mother and one to his stepfather because he wanted to prove to them that he was suffering from a real illness and it wasn't sort of like just bad behaviour on his part Mm -hmm. so it's quite clear that his parents did not understand what he was going through it, it's very humanizing. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I've been fa- I'm interested. I've got to bring this up. The whole Charlie Sheen thing is going on. Uh. <laughs> well, this is interesting to me because of the way the media responded to it. Basically, with laughter, and he's been the subject of ridicule. Now, the thing is, you can say Charlie Sheen, sport rich kid. You can criticize him on those grounds, but you can't. I don't think people really should be criticising. It seems to me that he's suffering. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but on the superficial face of the facts that I understand, understand about it, he seems to be suffering what's called dual diagnosis, mm-hmm. and that he's got a drug dependency. Concurrent Plus, disorders. 
He's also got a bipolar disorder problem. Yeah. Now, these are things, a terrible thing to suffer from, and you deserve as much sympathy as anyone suffering from cancer, but he's not getting that. And people who suffer from mental illnesses don't often get that. The first response is ridicule, and we're seeing that again in this case. Well, it's... I mean, you're talking about a specific field, too, that even... Um, at least in Canada, where I am in Vancouver, a lot of practitioners still don't have a very good understanding of concurrent dis- disorders or dual diagnosis, um, where you where you have folks in addictions with a mental illness and kind of understanding how those work together. Um, and it's quite sad with the situation with Charlie Sheen, because it's very obvious anyone who's worked in mental health will go, here's what's going on. You look at it and you can see it. Um, oh, you can see it in his face. It's, yeah. He's got that look that I recognize. The him. eyes. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. And um, I thought it was interesting the way he's just seemed to be. He's doing a typical thing that people in, in Fader's Mania do. Yeah. Of absolutely destroying everything around them. And at the same time, having unbelievable confidence that they're right. You see that a lot. I knew a guy who, um, he was on the ward and he came in ill. And what he'd done, he was in a high state of mania. He'd gone into um, his bank, drawn out a thousand pounds and just given it to the first sort of down and out wino mm-hmm. he'd seen. Like a, and of course, when he became well, he was devastated by what he'd done. And that's one of the things about that particular illness, that you lose all, all sense of uh, proportion. Which and is you can see this with Charlie Sheen. And uh, once again, I say she deserves some sympathy and if not some respect. I Yeah, I think my thoughts on it is it's very exploitive. Um, yes. Uh, I mean, here's someone who's very well documented dealing with addictions. Um, you know, crazy stories of just like outrageous hedonism. I mean, he's there's stuff going on there. Um, and for media, it just makes an easy, an easy. It's story. an easy subject to yeah. get headlines and. But I mean that's something you're kind of looking through with a lot of your work too, is how media understands certain subjects and exploits them, like with the um, with the autism and the supposed links to uh, immunization shots. I wrote, um, yeah, uh, well, I wrote uh, um, a story which sort of covered the. Uh, Andrew Wakefield MMR vaccination scandal which started off in this country which basically seemed to find a connection between um, um, the MMR triple vaccination and autism but has been over the years have gone on and proved there's not really really any connection at all and not only that but um, Andrew Wakefield himself uh, committed fraud, actual fraud, in the process of doing this, mm-hmm. and there was a um, would have gone on 
to make quite a lot of money out of that because he had, amongst many things, he, um, he and his uh, business partners were going to uh, benefit from like a single vaccination jab, which they were going to market, so that he would have, by by um, by bad mouthing the triple uh, vaccination, he would have financially benefited by not just by a little bit, but by many millions of pounds. And that is one of the reasons why he was struck off, medically struck off by the uh, British Medical Council in this country mm-hmm. uh, and barred from practising and also been accused of, of committing fraud. So but that's not well the media particularly were really bad at reporting this. Yeah. And still the proper story is still not out there. Those newspapers in this country and other places that uh, started the scare and ran with the scare have not, uh, once it's been revealed, really reported uh, all this other stuff that's happened since. They've gone very quiet on it, but they haven't actually gone on to say that they were wrong in reporting it the way they did. Um, that's basically the full story there. Is this always been an interest of kind of exploring subjects that have been neglected or mishandled and kind of flushing it out further? Well, it's come to me and I think part of that, one of what's come out of I tended to think for a long time that my um, two years uh, training as a mental health nurse was a complete waste of time because I, I never qualified all that effort I put into it and I invested so much of myself and I was devastated when I had to uh, finish it but what I did learn there was how to research things and how to look at scientific issues uh, with with, uh, quite clear scrutiny Mm -hmm. so it's since then that's what I've learned from that and that's what I've benefited from that and these type of stories uh, and comic strips I've done since uh, because of that, really. So that's why I turned in that direction. Mm-hmm. It's been very beneficial to me, but not in the way that I originally intended. Starry, starry night Ain't your palette blue and grey Look out on a summer's day With eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills Sketch the trees and the daffodils Catch the breeze and the winter chills In colors on the snowy linen land Now I understand What you tried to say to me And how you suffered for your sanity How you tried to set them free They would not listen, they did not know how Perhaps they'll listen now Starry, starry night 
flaming flowers that brightly blaze, swirling clouds in violet haze, reflect in Vincent's eyes of china blue, colors changing hue. Morning fields of amber grain, weathered faces lined in pain, are soothed beneath the artist's loving hand. Now I understand what you tried to say to me, how you suffered for your sanity. How you tried to set them free? They would not listen. They did not know how. Perhaps they'll listen now, for they could not love you. Still, your love was true. And when no hope was left inside on that starry, starry night. You took your life as lovers often do, but I could have told you, Vincent, this world was never meant for one as beautiful as you. Starry, starry night, portraits hung in empty halls. Frameless heads on nameless walls, with eyes that watch the world and can't forget, like the strangers that you've met. The ragged men in ragged clothes, silver thorn, bloody rose, lie crushed and broken on the virgin. Now I think I know what you tried to say to me. How you suffered for your sanity. How you tried to set them free. They would not listen. They're not listening still. Perhaps. What kind of have you had any from doing the work in psychiatric tales? Was it kind of a cathartic thing for you near the end? Uh, yeah, because I could then, um, for two reasons. One, I could explain to pe other people what had actually happened, which I found very difficult to talk about. And the other thing is, it's as I tried to sort of, sort of hinted at just then, it's um, it's like all the effort that I put into it has actually been useful. You know, sort of justified all that effort that I put in has actually come come to something it wasn't a complete waste of time so I feel better in that way that um, 
if I hadn't gone down that path, I couldn't have had this book, and I wouldn't have had this sort of resurgence in my cartoon career. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that um, I could have planned. It just sort of had to happen that way. It's interesting. You've done like a lot of talks about the book at universities, um, medical things. How's that been kind of for you coming in from this like elevated angle from where you were before? Um, I'm not quite sure what you mean. Uh, well, you're going in as kind of uh, where you've been working, really doing frontline work, um, and now you're kind of being approached by doctors and other folks and speaking at um, various forums, at least from what I've been able to gather from looking online. Yeah, well, it's sort of early days with that. I mean, I did a talk at Warwick University last week for um, psychology, psychiatric department there, and um, the MMR strip I just was talking about is actually out in the student version of the British Medical Journal this month, that kind of thing. So I'm still trying to assimilate what that really, really means to me, because it's such a bizarre thing. I'm sort of kind of behind it, really. I'm in trying to sort of work out how I feel about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's happened very quickly in a lot of ways. And it's only when I stop and think about it, I think how bizarre. Uh, ten years ago, I never thought that this would happen. And now I've got to the point, perhaps I'm like, older and a bit jaded, but um, I'm <laughs> kind of taking it ridiculously in my stride as well. If it was happening in my 20s, I'd have freaked out, I think. But you get a bit older and you can sort of deal with it a bit better. But answer your question really I'm, I, still, I don't really know how I feel about it exactly I'm still, I'm still sort of trying to assimilate how I feel about it it's changing all the time what? I'm going to uh, Mocha next month and that'll be in my first sort of big uh, convention outside uh, Britain mm-hmm. and that again will, it's going to be very strange and different and I'll come back with a different or perception of how I'm seen by other people and how I see myself. I have a feeling that I'm going to come back um, feeling quite different about things. It'll definitely be, uh, sounds like it'll be a different experience from from the UK scene. It seems like there's a very uh, tight-knit kind of group in England. Uh, yeah, we all kind of know one another. And, and Paul Gravett same people. Yeah, we run into the same people all the time. But it's a bigger group than it was even five years ago, and there's simply more people are popping up, mm-hmm. and more little companies are publishing stuff. So it seems quite healthy. Some but of the we're not very well known internationally, and I think that's one of the things we have to work on, both on the continent here in Europe yeah. and in the States. We need more... Now, I know Kenny Penman, who's the publisher of Blank Slate is taking a lot of his books to Toronto, and so he'll be there, and there's other British people will be there, mm-hmm. and again I'll be part of a contingent of people who are going to New York next month. And so I think we'll No Brow's been getting some good support with yeah. uh, Ad House. Yeah, so they have some lovely stuff, they really mm-hmm. do. 
I did. I totally forgot to take a look at their work when I was at uh, the Brooklyn convention in December. It was just too chaotic, but I'm looking forward to checking it out in yeah May. That's right, May. <laughs> um, just to remind people I'm talking to Daryl Cunningham about his book uh, Psychiatric Tales, as well as other work. Um, you're mentioning earlier. Uh, Uncle Bob was a strip you've been working on for quite a while. Uh, kids thing. What is your plan with that? It'll be out this summer, and I'm almost coming to the end. Uh, I, it's another one that I originally drew the early chapters of it quite a few years ago. And when I come back to it, when Kenny said, "Oh, I'd like to publish that," at blank slate, I thought, "Well, great, I'll do some new stories." But my artwork's kind of changed a bit, so I've had to go back and redraw some of the early stuff, which is a bit of a pain, but it had to be done. Otherwise, when the book comes out, I wouldn't be able to look at it. It would be that bad. <laughs> it wouldn't, and, the thing, and the thing is, other people wouldn't bother. You know, it's just me. But most artists are like that. Most creative people obviously like that. Mm-hmm. And it's the same, I suppose, if you're a musician or, or anything. But you have to be, you know, you have to follow your own path really so I had to do that again so that's fair enough I think so that'll be out in the summer and the idea behind that is is to, I just want to do a lot of different little stories and different genres like do a western do um, like a horror story uh, do a story set sort of in a jungle uh, like a jungle adventure kind of thing like an Alan Quatermain kind of thing and the idea behind it is like, yeah, it's a simple idea really that an old, a very old man tells these stories, like a Baron Munchausen kind of thing, mm-hmm. of these things had when, when adventures he had when yeah. he was younger, so spanning, you know, more than a century. So, my as I've got into it, I've realised that. I'd like to do more, so eventually, if it does well, there'll be a second volume of those stories down the line. And it allows me as well to work in full colour, with Psychiatric Tales is very stark black and white, and this mm. allows me to sort of uh, exercise that area of, of uh, creative art as well. So I've really enjoyed that. Uh, each story has like a, a slightly different colour palette as well. It gives you a chance to tell a ridiculous story and just go yeah, it's a really sort of mine, the sort of uh, pulp vein of uh, doing a western and uh, doing a, like a Victorian crime story, this kind of thing. All sorts of different little areas. Now, coupling with your uh, previous work in psychiatric tales, you've also been doing some more science stuff, like the autism one we're discussing. Um, the two that I'd read were the the moon hoax and the climate change. Um, the climate change. These, um, few... Yeah, this this is a, like a set of stories that um, I've got about eighty pages of material, all looking at very controversial uh, science areas. And as you said, there's climate change, um, the supposed NASA moon hoax. Um, homeopathy. Oh yeah, that um, one. I forgot about that one. Yeah, and the MMR va- vaccination scandal. 
and solve these. Uh, also, I looked at electroconvulsive therapy as well. That was an early one I did. And uh, I'm talking to a couple of publishers about putting that book out. Um, I don't know when, but we'll see how that goes. I'm hoping to settle that this weekend and be able to announce it you know, in a week or so. So that that has been... <laughs> although those psychiatric tales have done very well and got a lot of got me a lot of attention, mm-hmm. um, the science stories that on when I put those uh, particular stories on the on the um, on my blog, I mean things really. I mean it went absolutely crazy. I was getting like sixty to eighty thousand views in a day. It was just ridiculous. And, <laughs> uh, uh, often, often about fifty percent very supportive, and then absolute hate mail as well. So you really split people down the middle. So I think when that book comes out, it'll be quite controversial. What is it about those particular subjects you think that riles people up so much? I think it brings out a lot, the real crankiness in people, especially um, the conspiracy orientated people mm-hmm. out there uh, particularly uh, got berated by people who believe that the uh, moon landings were, were a hoax and shot uh, by Stanley Kubrick on a sound stage somewhere and they just absolutely refused to believe that it was ever done and you can't really, I don't really argue with them about it I just present the information as uh, as clearly as I can, and this is what it's about. Because you're not going to complain, uh, convince uh, people who are really diehard into it. Mm-hmm. And with things like homeopathy, there's a lot of people out there obviously make a good living out of working from that, and they absolutely are not in a position where they want to believe where it's uh, a complete load of nonsense and there's no scientific basis for it. So they get very angry, and I've been I've had a lot of uh, quite ferocious emails from that crowd, but um, uh, it's just the way it is, really. The homeo- the homeopathy or homeopathy, uh, that one's so tragic because you had the one story of the the woman with um, cancer who refuses regular treatment and just withers away yeah. in no time. That was a an Australian lady who's uh, based in Perth who basically um, wanted to try and prove that she could beat cancer and her husband by using just homeopathy and sort of natural treatments but they basically the cancer grew so big and she was in agonizing pain and eventually they had to um, use surgery to get the tumor out but uh, it wasn't in time and eventually it did kill her because it had basically spread around her body by that time. She got, after the surgery, she lived for, I think, a year or so, longer than she would have if it had been not treated, but she still died unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. And that is the problem with things like alternative therapies. People often say, well, what's the harm? Well, <laughs> in themselves, they may not be harmful, but they may stop people from seeking treatment that can actually be effective that is the danger really um, there's plenty of good examples of um, studies of um, homeopathy 
um, people who on alternative therapies have encouraged people not to uh, have vaccinations when they go abroad sort of tropical places and like that and that's an incredibly dangerous advice to give people mm-hmm. because you know malaria can kill you yep <laughs> isn't that why they you uh, know, a water tablet is not going to help you <laughs> you know um Homeopathy isn't going to cure cancer, you know, it's not going to even, it might help a little with your mood through just the attention, the medical attention you're getting if you're suffering from something like depression. Mm-hmm. But uh, even then, in the long term, you're going to have to do other things and not just sell on that. Well, it's something like uh, mental illness, I mean, it's a balance of medication and actually finding a way to deal with either past traumas or some kind of therapy aspect to it as well. I th- yeah, I've been criticised a little for being to um, taking on, sort of promoting this sort of uh, medical model of uh, mental illness a bit too much and I think that's a fair criticism and I didn't really in the book emphasise enough how, um, yes, uh, medication can help a lot with um, illnesses but they're not necessarily going to get you friends or get you a job mm-hmm. and these are things if you want good mental illness you really absolutely essential so you, it's not just dependent on on and drugs you have to go behind you have to need help to get these other things as well simple life skills simple training. life skills are often people who suffer quite severe schizophrenia might miss out on learning mm-hmm. well I, I mean something with schizophrenia comes in at such an age for the most part like during latter adolescence when you would be learning a lot of these things and, and also when your social skills are quite often quite bad anyway mm-hmm. uh, one of the problems with early diagnosis of schizophrenia is a lot of those symptoms of people withdrawing, uh, uh, being uncommunicative, uh, being difficult. Well, that's just being an adolescent as well. So they're hard to sometimes um, sometimes recognise. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and with things like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, the earlier the intervention is, the the better the, the better the outcome. Uh, people who suffered uh, schizophrenia for a long time without getting treated uh, are much less likely to recover and more likely to suffer sort of res- resol- revolving door problems of of, be- of having to be uh, hospitalised on and off for the rest of their lives. The earlier you can get into treating, the less damage the disease seems to do to the brain. So that's very important. What was the particular choice of starting the book out with uh, dementia? Um, because I think it, at the time I was actually working with dementia on uh, that world, and I had, and those are the, just the stories that came to hand, that came to mind first. So those are the stories that I wrote down first, and it could have been anything. It's quite arbitrary, really. It just happened to be that. I just feel like, in a lot of ways, it's very different from a lot of the other stuff that folks suffer through, where it's more of a ladder um, 
illness, so to say, where just a second ago we were talking about schizophrenia and bipolar affecting folks that are younger coming on, where dementia is more generally more of an elderly thing while younger people do that it does come on but not as much as someone at a ripe age um, I think with dementia it's, it's another thing that I think with the chapter on dementia I, do, I really in the, when I do get around to doing the second volume of Psychiatric Tales which I'm definitely going to do uh, I'd, I'm going to try to come back to that because one of the things I didn't do in that chapter was sort of explain the sort of organic processes of dementia mm -hmm. uh, because people tend to think Alzheimer's but Alzheimer's is just one form of dementia that you can get there are quite a few others and not only that people can get more than one form of dementia simultaneously so it's a very difficult thing to often um, to see in people and there's a lot of confusion about it and I didn't really explain that and I'd like to to write a chapter about that to go into the sort of medical understanding of it a bit more So how do you want to expand with the second book other than the dementia component? Um, yeah, I, w I would explain that as I say more from the sort of explain actually what was going wrong with the brain with these particular kinds of illnesses and looking at Parkinson's and these other forms of dementia mm -hmm. but I mean beyond dementia what a, about what I'll, else I'd like to look at uh, uh, things like um, um, obsessive compulsive disorder those kind of things and I want to look at uh, drug and alcohol dependency and and also um borderline personality disorder which is a huge thing mm -hmm. in the health, mental health world and it's a confusing thing challenging it's a, yeah it's a confusing thing for several reasons and one of them being that it's not technically a mental illness as such mm -hmm. because what you've got really are people who have personality disorders so these are their personalities if you like which have become warped in some way and they're not necessarily they're not illnesses that you can cure as such so that's a, that's a difficult thing there it's, it's, it's more about uh, a level of engagement and um, yes, response yeah and it's um, a very difficult thing to treat maybe impossible in some cases Mm -hmm. So what you've got then is is basically try to manage the situation, and that can be very difficult too. It's, it's a hugely complex area, um, so that would take up a quite a bit of the book as well. But there's also some other things I want to get into about sort of. I would bring again my own personal sort of story into it and try to sort of weave that through. Exactly how I'm going to do that, I'm not sure, but when I get down to writing it, I'm sure it'll come to me. I hope. <laughs> because uh, without that personal connection, I think it, it can be very dry, so I'd like to bring that back in. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you know, like I said, it's uh, I really enjoyed the book, and I think you're able to really touch on it in a sympathetic um, but not exploitive way, which, you know, when when folks are working on telling personal stories of others, it's really, I think, really important to keep that in mind of how you're engaging with with the stories. I think I was always, I mean, one of the reasons why I enjoyed, or oh, I felt I was quite a good carer, is that I always had a lot of empathy for people. Mm-hmm. And of course I was able, when writing the stories, I was able to keep that, that empathetic um, view of things as well, and that helps a lot when, when writing it. I agree. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I can see where you're going with it. Um, something maybe completely different is you also do a lot of illustration work where you're playing with uh, kind of superheroes and different colorful imagery. You're doing like the postcards. Yeah. That um, you sent me. I've, I have done sort of, um, sort of small, well, not exactly traditional superhero stuff, but yeah, like for the activate website I did a thing called The Streets of San Diablo which is like a bizarre kind of mix of superhero and western um, and is kind of strangely British in a way in that, um, I, I was thinking it was very influenced by what was happening in uh, British comics like 2000 AD which is the home of Judge Dredd where often they would take in those strips two apparently completely different things and just smash them together you know they, um, I remember Pat Mills wrote a thing called I think he's bringing it back a thing called Flesh which was um, um, it was like a time travel thing where people were going back into the past and um, basically um, herding um, like dinosaurs for the use of meat in the present time, so it was like a bizarre <laughs> kind of western, but instead of cows, you had dinosaurs, you know, so, and I always loved that, you could take different things together and just push them together, um, so that was the influence of that, I think, uh, unconsciously, I was sort of thinking, let's take two different genres and, and do, do different things with it, so, and I'd, I'd kind of think, I'd like to do like a more straightforward superhero thing and I have ideas for it but then I think the whole superhero thing although it's wonderful in a lot of ways it's been so exhaustively uh, stripped yeah. mind there's hardly anything left you know <laughs> and the ideas I have are only tenuously different from stuff that's already around so there's probably no point in me doing it when I can go off and do something quite different and uh, you know you've got a limited time in your life, so yeah. let's concentrate on something original if you can. Which is a shame, really. But there you go. <laughs> Creatively, or creativity goes where it needs to go. Yeah, I think so. Um, I have um, some ideas for the future. I'd like to do a book on, uh, like a history book, but looking at um, people who quite obscure people in history who perhaps were very famous in the time uh, but have been kind of forgotten since mm-hmm. sort of examining um, 
people like um, um, Francis Younghusband, who was like a British soldier in Edwardian times, who led an invasion into Tibet. He was like an adventurer who became a writer later, later on in his life. And as he aged, he was like a sort of early proto-hippie. And he started writing books on mysticism and was a very sort of strange kind of um, 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 Colonel Blimp character. <laughs> and uh, so there's a lot of these sort of... If you had a sort of real Uncle Bob character, and they'd like to sort of write stories about them, um, about those kind of people... Dave Collier did some interesting ones on uh, famous Canadians or obscurely famous Canadians from the past which uh, is really fascinating it's quite neat to hear these stories of people you don't really know about but probably should well there's so much fascinating stuff happened in the past you know the, when you read some of these stories you, you think that's incredible how, how could that happen mm-hmm. uh, so I think to, you know, rather than you don't need to invent stuff, really. You can just look to see what actually happened. Just strip mine reality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It. There's a, a character called Jim Corbett who interested me. He's um, he was a, a soldier in the East Indian British Army, and um, he um, became like a, a hunter of uh, many tigers. I mean, this was at a time when obviously there was a lot more tigers around there now. There's hardly any left. But, and when tigers become old or sick or injured, they'd often attack human beings. Uh, you know, and you wouldn't, it wouldn't be unheard of for a tiger to kill 200 people over six mm-hmm. months. So he'd go out and then track them down. He'd, and he wrote a few books about his, his time. Uh, doing that and I thought he's an interesting character and he also um, it was a sort of an early environmentalist because uh, he didn't really enjoy doing this at all he did it because he had to be done but uh, he started sort of a, an early conservation movement in um, India to sort of try and save the tiger when he realised it was starting to become quite rare so that's another story I think is very interesting mm-hmm Oh, and well, it yeah. also allows me to draw jungle, which is always fun. <laughs> I love drawing jungle. Who doesn't? I don't know. <laughs> um, well, thank you for taking the time to join me today, Daryl. Um, yeah, very welcome. I enjoyed it. Excellent. And uh, thank you for, for for all the stuff you've sent me. I appreciate it. Um, just so folks know, Psychiatric Tales by Daryl Cunningham, available in bookstores in North America and Canada, or North America and UK. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> from no Bloomsbury in the Bloomsbury. In, in North America, and uh, from the UK in the UK it's from Blank Slate. It should be out in in Italy as well. There's an it- Italian edition coming. Fantastic. Well, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure it's work that will translate very easily into other languages. I, I'm I'm hoping so. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Daryl. You're welcome. I hurt myself today. To see if I still feel 
I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all My empire of dirt Upon my liar's chair Full of broken thoughts I cannot repair Beneath the stains of time The feelings disappear You are someone else I am still right here What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all Oh,